Welcome, everybody, into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined, as always, by Philip Russell and Ryan Shutt, and joined, not as always, by a special guest. And I say special because it's our first, but also because I think they're a special person. That is David Nash. David, how are you, sir? So nice to talk to you, and thank you for being here. I'm doing good, guys. We've uh, been trying to line this up for a couple of weeks now, so I'm really excited to uh, jump on, and there's plenty of stuff we're going to cover here. So uh, as I've said to you privately, I've been listening for a little while now. I'm very honored to be your first fourth member on the podcast. It's overdue. It's overdue. The screen just never looked right without a fourth little squip in the corner. (laughs) No, Uh, Ryan, Philip. We finally made it happen. We had someone admit that they listened to our podcast, guys. So we I think we should, one we should celebrate we our accomplishments. It. Hey, my uh, my wife just got home and she doesn't. So David, we're really glad you're here. My wife also <laughs> doesn't listen. And that's honestly, I think that's probably for the best. Because if she heard how many hours I put into not just watching the games, but talking about the games and doing all this stuff, it probably wouldn't be great for us. So no, um, David alluded to it. We've got a lot to talk about. Typically, we follow our pretty basic format, talking about what's happened in the week in Suns basketball, and that's that's kind of who we are here, and for those who might be listening for the first time, who just love David so much that they're going to listen to a lovely accent no matter the topic, uh, we are Into the Valley. We're a Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Brightside Network. Uh, I do want to just say, if you haven't listened, we appreciate you being here, but we realized we have a special guest. Let's make it a special episode. And so we opened it up to the other folks that apparently listen to the podcast as well. And we opened it up. We asked listeners. I don't think the word fans can be used in this context without making me feel like a horrible human. But you people out there who choose. Speak for yourself, man. Hey, I know about my fans. If you've got to hype yourself up in the morning, I love it. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but we let's, we asked you guys. Do you have questions for us? Do you have questions for David? We personally went into this with the same idea as well. We had questions for David. It's nice getting to talk to people who have different perspectives of the game, different history with the Suns in general. And so we're going to open up with a few kind of warm-up questions here. We're not bringing the listeners in quite yet, but these are our questions uh, for David. And David, our first one is, again, you've kind of created this uh, beautiful, mysterious presence on the internet uh, with bloody Steve Nash and these novel, I don't know, English teacher, Philip, would it be a novella based on the, uh, the general length of some of those newsletters? I mean, it's nonfiction, so you're in the wrong ballpark, but keep going. Yeah, whatever. I'm trying my <laughs> best here. Uh, yeah, some of those things are, they're, he- they're heavy reads, right? Um, you are deep within Phoenix Suns basketball but we kind of want to just start by asking you, sons aside, how did you get into basketball just as a fan to where you choose to write what you write and watch the amount that you do? Like what kind of got you in the first place? It's a good question. I, I started playing basketball when I was about six or seven years old. Uh, I was thinking back just the other day, um, kind of when that was, and I, I started playing competitive basketball, but and the NBL, I don't know how much you guys are kind of up with the NBL these days. Back when I was kind of six or seven years of age, that was the the heyday of the NBL. So uh, probably showing my age a little bit here, but uh, for for names that you guys will know, Ben Simmons, Josh Giddy, Dante Exum, 
all their dads played in the NBL. And that's when I became a fan of basketball. Uh, they weren't huge names. You know, most of those guys were kind of, you know, either American imports or, uh, you know, in the case of Josh Giddy's dad, he was just a, a role player on a really good team. But um, the NBL was huge back then. It wasn't the biggest sport in Australia, but it, it had a really great following. And then I kind of fell out of love with basketball for a period of time uh, when the NBL fell kind of in Australia. So the NBL went through some really tough times where it almost didn't even exist anymore. Um, and it's really come back more recently with the kind of next stars program and some of the, uh, you know, guys not going to college and instead coming down to Australia, obviously LaMelo ball kind of the most recent example of that. So yeah, I've had a bit of a weird relationship with basketball where it was kind of my first love as a, a little kid. And then um, I went in some other directions for a while and then, I guess the the more recent, um, you know, affiliation with the game and, and how deep I get into it has really only been the last few years, which might, yeah, surprise a few people. Um, but, yeah, the, the kind of deep analysis, particularly of the Suns, has really only been um, three or four seasons now. Philip, I want to kind of pivot that answer to you. We're both in situations uh, here in the States of, Indiana for Philip growing up and Kentucky here for Ryan and myself, we were kind of put in places where basketball is just thrown in front of us from the earliest of ages. And Ryan and I have an interesting kind of side to that too, where we actually moved overseas. We lived in the Caribbean where cricket and soccer were the only two sports. And so we were so away from the traditional sports growing up. Like I never played basketball for real until I was like nine or 10 Ryan, I guess then would be even older when we moved back. And so it's weird where you're in a place where the sport that you enjoy, or you hear talked about growing up. Cause my dad, we, you know, he talked about the great Kentucky basketball teams of old and he what, I mean, he wouldn't saw Dr. J play against like the ABA Kentucky colonels. Right. So it's cool just seeing kind of how everyone's basketball paths come together Philip, for you, I feel like you just didn't have a choice in getting into basketball, did you? Yeah, and specifically where I grew up in Valparaiso, Indiana, it was kind of a legendary basketball town. Valparaiso University is there. There's the classic shot from Bryce Drew against Old Miss back in 98 that they show every, not 98, whenever it was. During, during March Madness, he hits like a 35-footer at the buzzer, leaning into it to win the game. And then even our high school program had like a defined way to shoot free throws that was known around the state as Valpo free throws. And then growing up when I was in middle school, guys like Robbie Hummel, who went on to play at Purdue and had a short stint in the league and now calls games. He, he played at Valparaiso high school when I was at one of the feeder middle schools and I actually played baseball and basketball with his brother growing up. So we just kind of ingrained in the community And then added on top of that, my dad was born right outside of Lexington, Kentucky. So I had the high school love for the game from an early age because of where I grew up and then a love for college based on my dad's indoctrination slash upbringing of me. And then the combination of that just led to a love for the game. And because I loved the game and wanted to learn more about it, eventually I pivoted away from exclusively watching college and growing in an appreciation for the complexity of the NBA. 
there are a lot of people and even people in my own family who, who say things like college basketball is better. They, I hate this, but they say they actually play defense in college and it's because they're not watching and not grasping how complex the game is in the NBA, which is what we'll get to in a little bit, but just being inundated with basketball my whole life eventually led to a point where I just wanted to watch basketball pretty much all the time. Yeah. And so our next question, I think that that's a good place to go. And I'll be honest, it, it shocks me to hear David Howell, I guess. And I know you said three or four seasons sounds recent in terms of the amount of time you've put. Obviously, that's still pretty massive. Um, but, but what turned the love of basketball into a love of the Suns? Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call on Ryan later because I want to make sure I get my love for why he loves the Suns. But like, what, what was it that- Inflate your ego. Thank you. What was it that kind of pushed you down the the Phoenix Suns, you know, train of thought when you have every single opportunity in front of you, you know, I guess when you're not local to something, you're not stuck somewhere and you kind of have everything at your fingertips. Yeah. Again, it's something that I get asked quite a lot when people, have, you know, work out online or whatever that I'm actually from Australia. And I guess much like you guys, I'm not tied to Arizona. I'm not tied to Phoenix. So it's, you know, particularly with how we've been, before this recent stretch, a lot of people are just like, you know, why, <laughs> why would you uh, jump on that bandwagon? And, you know, I mentioned the NBL before being kind of the biggest thing, the NBA back when I was a kid, wasn't big um, in terms of exposure. It, you know, it, you couldn't really find games. They had, I think a highlight package once a week on mainstream free to air TV that you could check into very smart business move by David Stern. Just as an aside, I think he gave that away for free to one of our channels here. Uh, and now I believe Australia is, uh, just behind America second for league pass subscription per capita, uh, in the world. So very, very smart man, as we know the late David Stern was. Um, but it was Charles Barkley for me. So VHS tapes, again, I'm showing my age here a little bit. Uh, my brother's four or five years older than I am. He would get VHS tapes. And when he was done with them, uh, I was allowed to watch them. And uh, other than MJ at that time, Barkley was very prominent. Some of those Charlotte teams were prominent. The Seattle teams with Kemp and Peyton uh, were prominent. Um, but Phoenix were right there, you know, Barkley, Marley, um, Kevin Johnson, all those guys. So that was, you know, Barkley was my first son's love um, and not being one to, you know, jump on the Bulls bandwagon. Um, I think, you know, I had some small flings with, you know, the likes of those Hornets teams with Larry Johnson and Morning and Muggsy Bogues and, and those Sonics teams that I mentioned before, before eventually landing on Barkley. And then, yeah, as I said before, fell out of a love with it for a little while. Uh, and then Nash dragged me back in, you know, obviously sharing the last name, uh, you know, the seven seconds or less sons, you know, just so much fun to watch. And, and at that point was just a straight up fan, even though I very much just consider myself a fan these days. I think people find that a bit weird when I say that, when they see how much I delve into the, the other side of what I do. Um, so yeah, went through that run really just as a fan. I was a you know contributor in the comments sections on Bright Side of the Sun. You know that was basically as far as my um, you know community around the Suns went. Really, I didn't you know I wasn't on Twitter back then. Twitter didn't even exist, I suppose, back in those early days. Um, and I didn't have any friends or family around here that were that into basketball. So I was very online from you know from that time onwards. 
And then it really wasn't, you know, my current obsession or, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, weirdly was when Igor took over. Uh, I went on a deep dive um, when he was hired of, of kind of what he was going to instill, what he was going to bring to this team. And that was really, you know, I delved into it in the past, but that was the first time that I sat down and, you know, he's got three or four videos on YouTube from a coaching clinic. There's probably about four hours of footage there. And that was really the first time I sat down and tried to teach myself X's and O's. And it was him teaching a crowd of people being filmed or a crowd of coaches, I should say, about his philosophies of, in basketball, both on offense and defense. And, um, you know, I started clipping things. I started, um, you know, taking some of those plays he was running and and adding the current Phoenix Suns at the time. I think it was, oh God, I think um, TJ Warren, Devin Booker, Brandon Knight, uh, DeAndre, obviously they just drafted. Um, and I was putting their kind of headshot uh, on top, you know, superimposing it over uh, these clips that Igor was running, trying to give Suns fans, because Igor was this big, mysterious, even though he'd been in the US for like 15 years, everyone was like, you know, what, who's this European coach that uh, we've hired sort of thing. Obviously that didn't go very well. And I've got my, that's a whole nother podcast that we probably need to do in the off season or something like that. But yeah, that was, that was, I, I taught myself and I've been teaching myself ever since. I think we're going to touch on it a little bit later in the pod of, you know, what other people can do, but yeah, without, kind of big noting myself or anything like that. I think I'm a good example of uh, if you really want to get into it, there's, there's really no restrictions with uh, how online everything is these days. I'm literally on the other side of the world and I have no access to basketball coaches, you know, directly or anything like that. And I've managed to, you know, get this far. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. No, I love it. And I'm, I'm glad you pumped the brakes on getting too much into that uh, next next subject of information because I know we could definitely talk more about uh, the love of the game and understanding the game and, and steps to get there. And we'll talk about that at the tail end, but i obviously really passionate about that as well. Um, no, I love having this weird tiny community to talk Suns basketball because much like you on the other side of the world, though I'm in the middle of the U.S., being a Suns fan at nine, 10 years old. I listened to the radio broadcasts back when I could. I listened on the actual radio as well. And and Ryan can vouch. I mean, I had a VHS in my bedroom that I had a strict bedtime. I'd record those games and watch them first thing in the morning. So to your point, you know, you find ways to make it work, whether you're sitting there in Phoenix or or wherever you are. Uh, and then luckily for me, I I tricked my brother into joining. And we somehow suckered a Chicago Bulls fan into watching enough to where he owns at least at least one shirt of Suns merchandise, Philip. Is that right? Put some respect on my name, bro. I got a shirt and a hoodie. Thank you. A shirt and a hoodie. But to, to right. your point, I mean, I think that's one of the cool things that technology has done. Because whether it's Kentucky or, or, or Australia, like Ethan and I oftentimes felt like we were kind of an island within the Suns fandom. Um, you know, we would people would talk to us about basketball, specifically the Suns, because they knew we were the only two Suns fans they knew. So when they were like, hey, something cool happened in Phoenix, we should talk to somebody. 
Who did they go to? It was us. Um, and it's it's really thanks to Twitter and really kind of our, our podcast and some of the connections that we've made doing this online that has kind of brought us into that community. Because up until recently, our community was us three uh, and just talking about our love of basketball and how that interacts. And, and credit to Ethan, he, he wanted to pat himself on the back, but I'll do it for him. Um, you know, growing up in Kentucky, you are you are born and raised to be a Kentucky Wildcats fan living where we do in Bowling Green, we have Western Kentucky University, which is one of the winningest programs in college basketball history, which people don't realize. So like we have good college basketball, but there are no NBA affiliates. There's no Nashville team. You know, you can be a Pacers fan, I guess, but if you want to be miserable, like that's your only option, Um, you know? So, you know, seeing Ethan's dedication to the Suns all those years, you know, I was a big Shaq fan. So really my loyalty kind of followed Shaquille O'Neal wherever it was, which wound up in the desert at one point, but my favorite player of all time was Dwayne Wade. So even to the point where he was starting to, to kind of age out of his career, I was kind of without a home fan fan wise. And so Ethan really kind of brought me in in the last, I guess, six, seven, eight years have, has really kind of brought me into this. And now I can't imagine cheering for another team. I'm so invested in this team and, you know, you, you ride with them through those awful, awful seasons and it makes seasons like this that much more rewarding but I think even more rewarding is having the community around us that we can enjoy it with other people now, um, as opposed to just enjoying it between us three, which was great. And we love that. But now we have people, I think of the playoffs run last year when everybody was online and doing surges chugging with the fellas and how, how communal that was. Um, and it just really brought every corner of the Suns fandom into one place, which is really a, a neat idea. Well, you mentioned we have things to cheer about and things to enjoy. Uh, we will, to David's point, skip over some years where that wasn't exactly the case, and we had to get excited about certain players scoring points in a 19-win season. Let's move on to what most people probably want to hear about, learn about, have their questions answered, and that is this year's Phoenix Suns, what we're seeing on the court. And the very first question, I don't mean to come in with, with such a big one, but it kind of got us started in the right train of thought. And this actually came from just a friend of ours who knew we were doing this and and texted to us. And they just asked, what is the singular key to the Suns winning the title this year? And it is big and it's very, I guess you could say it's as vague as you want it to be. Um, But it's kind of a good, I think, uh, kind of jumping off point before we get into more of the nitty gritty and just say, what do you think is going to change or what has changed from last year to this year to make it happen? So, David, looking at this season, what do you think, if you can say just one thing, but what's that one thing that you think is going to make this year the year everyone has been waiting for? Yeah, I mean, first, my cheat answer is health. And I think that's a very easy answer for everyone. And I hope that the stuff that the Suns are going through at the moment is, you know, getting some of that stuff out of the way. uh, So we have luck on our side again come playoffs time. I think. The whole health injury debate, not to go off on a tangent here, is really poorly discussed, in my opinion. And and people use it as this like crutch of, um, you know, why a team did or didn't go ahead. That the the facts are that health impacts every single playoff series that all four of us have ever watched in our lifetime. And timing that and having it on your side, it does actually play a huge factor as to whether you end up making it all the way and winning the trophy. And I just think that the way we discuss that is just, you know, so poorly discussed online, uh, you know, 
along with a whole number of other things. But, you know, I don't think you can really delve into that too much. It's, it's basically either we're healthy or we're not healthy. And, and particularly, you know, certain players, you obviously want to be healthy over others, but uh, you know, that's a luck thing. So I don't think there's really much we can control on that side. So it's probably not worth delving into too much. I don't know about you guys. When I, th- you know, I think about last season quite a lot, particularly while I'm watching games this season and, and think about those tough series that we played, you know, the, the Lakers and the Clippers ones, obviously early on before they work things out. And then obviously the eventual, um, you know, loss to the, to the Bucks in the finals. And I just feel like we got worn down and, you know, some of that was, some of the injuries that that happened and and a guy like book you know i look through i still see this as his team um even though chris paul is very much you know in the debate as best player on the team um and he just wasn't himself by the time the bucks uh matchup came along and i think he got worn down by chris's injuries and having to take on a, a larger workload so yeah i think a lot of people think about and talk about who's going to step up, who's going to be the third guy, you know, who's going to take on those opportunities when Chris and Devin are, are being covered um, by a good defense like the Bucks. I tend to think that you still win or lose championships on your stars, and I'm willing to put it on the back of Book and Chris, and and I don't really like to get into a conversation of, oh, we need to feed DeAndre Ayton more or Mikel Bridges needs more of the ball because when it, if we do get lucky enough to make it to the finals again, we're not going to be passing those two dudes the rock to get us a bucket in the fourth. It's just not going to happen. The ball might swing to them to make an open shot, but we're not running the offense through it. We're going through Book and Paul. So I more think about the earlier rounds and – how can we limit book and CP3's workload in round one and round two through guys like DeAndre Ayton, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson coming on recently? So when we eventually hopefully get to the very end, the pointy end of the season, as I like to say, and Max likes to make fun of me when I'd say that every now and then on the podcast that we do, um, you know, are they going to be their best selves? You know, this injury to Chris is kind of a blessing in disguise in that he's kind of going to hopefully go in fresh to the playoffs. Uh, I worry about book at the moment because I don't want him to, you know, be the one picking up all that slack, but yeah, that it's a very vague question and a very vague answer, but that's really how I think about it. And I just think that if they can lean on some of the other role players a little bit more, like we're seeing at the moment through those early rounds, I also think that it, it probably has a bonus impact as well as, putting our future opponents off a little bit as well. Like I'm sure a lot of the scouting from those Lakers and Clippers uh, matchups went into the Bucks thinking with how to shut down Devin Booker and Chris Paul. And just think, of, you know, if we can have a bit more variety, I don't think it's going to be the reason we win it all at the very end with those guys in the offense. But I do think that it could have an, an impact if that makes sense, just keeping the workload down. So that's kind of how I would answer it. Um, and to that, I, I guess throw it back to you guys a little bit. You know, I have my opinion on this and, and I know you guys discuss this quite a lot, but, you know, if you look at Mikhail, Aiton, and then Jay as the other three starters, and then Cam Johnson, I guess, is the, the fourth starter, as they like to say, you know, how would you guys rank those four guys in terms of who's, who's the most ready to take on in a round one matchup a larger workload, do you think? That is a very good question. Philip, I'm going to go to you first, but I also yeah. know that this is a trap because I know my answer will upset people. 
Philip, what do you think with that one? Coming off that Knicks game, it's really hard to not say Cam Johnson. That he did, he does so much. And it's it's not just scoring with him. He's defensively sound. He's increasing his his good drives to the basket. The last two seasons, one of the things that frustrated me some about Cam, and in my mind, it was when he drove right a lot, he would drive just to the right of the elbow and he would stop and he would get stuck. And it happened frequently. And I think he's been better this year about driving definitively, whether that's getting all the way down to a spot where he can kick to the corner or to the wing. And because of his improvements, his skill set is just better equipped, I think, to take on part of that bigger workload. And I think over the next few weeks, we might see if it's Cam over a guy like Mikhail. Now, that's that's not to say that Cam will necessarily be more important than Mikhail in those in those series, because we know Mikhail is going to be picking up some. He's going to have a gauntlet of defensive assignments going through the Western Conference playoffs. But when it comes to getting book a breather on the offensive end, getting CP3 a breather on the offensive end and shouldering some of that burden, I think he might be best equipped to do so. Ryan, what are you thinking? For me, in sometimes I feel like I'm having to convince myself of this as well, but my answer is DeAndre Ayton. I, I just think if if Ayton shows up as that 20 and 12 player on a night-to-night basis that he can be, I think there's just a lot that we can rely on him for this year. He's looked a lot better. He's not disappearing as frequently. There's still those nights where he'll, you know, have eight and three, and then he recovers the next night with, with 30 and 10. Um, But if we can get consistency out of him, I just think he's such an important piece, especially not this matchup with the bucks, but the previous one, he seemed to play Giannis a lot better than I had seen him play in that final series. And if that's the kind of competitor we get, um, through those series, I think DeAndre Ayton could make a huge impact. But again, I'm not sure I believe that as my answer. I like I want that to be my answer, and I feel like I have to convince myself that that's my answer because uh, there are some nights where he just really lets me down. But he didn't disappear too frequently during the playoffs last year, and I think he's a much better player this year, um, at least from a consistency standpoint. So that's that's who I would go with personally. For me, it I know part of it's man crush, part of it's a shtick at this point, but. Cam Johnson, for me, has a skill that I think is incredibly important come playoff basketball, and that is, can you create for yourself? Uh, I think Mikhail offensively has done a lot in situations where he is reliant on another player, whether that's the incredible cutting that everyone talks about, whether that's how efficient he's been in the fast break, you know, everything that comes with that. But in terms of his big offensive spikes, it is the attacking the mismatch it's getting to the nail it's you know putting a defender on his back cam for me has shown flashes that he can get a bucket he's attacked better off the dribble he's looked to create space for himself and people forget the dude's a giant for what he can do and that means he can get a quick shot off a lot and i think that's big offensively i just don't see da being that i think jay is still going to have two playoff games where he goes seven of eight from three and follow that up with an O for 10. And we, we get what we get. Uh, and Mikhail, I think, again, I think defensively, he's just doing too much to count on him on the other end. So I think cam could be that, and that'd be a huge difference from last season, like last season's playoffs. If you want to torture yourself, go back and watch them again. 
you didn't see the flashes that we're seeing this season a lot of the times. McHale kind of teases with some on the front end of a couple series, and then I think defensively the effort was just kind of worn down there. Uh, but I agree. And before we kind of move to another player who we didn't touch on, I do want to say, David, I think my number one answer was also health. Like, I think that is the corny yeah. answer to the original question. Uh, and I will say this question bothered me. I like having some sort of stat to back up my thoughts. And so I was looking this season more times than I needed to of every single statistical difference between the Suns wins and losses. Cause we even had some questions that got asked that we're not going to touch on about, Hey, when the Suns lose, they're giving up a bunch of points, right? There's some very generic, you lose with bad defense, you win with good offensive defense. Statistically speaking, the only stat that I could find a substantial difference between the Suns wins and losses this year is their rebound rate. And specifically on the defensive end, that was it offensive rating near identical. I thought turnovers and assists would have a bit of a discrepancy near identical assisted turnover ratio, a lot that looked like they were the same exact team win or lose, except for the rebounding. And when you look at some of the teams that we will be playing in the West, in the playoffs, those are players you cannot afford to give another opportunity to. So that was kind of my more stat based answer to like, what could be the key outside of a player. Uh, but it's, it's tough. I, you know, we, we've joked before when the Suns rattle off 15 straight wins how much can you learn in terms of uh, criticisms, right? And so we're getting a little bit of that. We're kind of being forced into seeing that with Book out and Paul out and seeing what yep. other guys can do. Um, but speaking of one of those other guys and going to a question from one of the fans, this came from Mr. Anderson, which is at Mr. Anderson. And he asked about one of my favorite sons, whether the world agrees with me or not. And he asked, do you guys think Landry Shamit turns it around in the last stretch of the season? and becomes a playoff rotation player. The first part of that, I think, is a little too vague. Like, There's no magic number to say, what does it mean to turn it around? So I want to focus on the back end of that. Do you view Landry Shamit as a playoff rotation player? Uh, based off your answer of finding more people to help with that workload, I assume you would want the answer to be yes. Uh, but David, as you're looking at the Landry Shamit that's in front of us, what do you see him doing come playoff time? Yeah, I really like this question. Um, just to, I guess, recap on on some of the stuff you went over there. I, th I think your point on the rebounding is is really important. I, at least anecdotally from what I've seen recently, it seems to be when DeAndre Ayton is switching a lot more out on the perimeter, they need to work out what their philosophy is for crashing the boards and, and helping him out. And I, I really like your mix of answers there. Funnily enough, I had Ayton and, and Cam Johnson circled. Uh, it's not groundbreaking analysis for me, but um, people know, don't, Hey, people it, don't come to this podcast for groundbreaking analysis. So <laughs> if your expectations for your normal work is here, feel free to move it down a little bit uh, just to feel a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. I just, I had a quick look, you know, I like to look at trends and, and kind of over the course of seasons rather than looking at like little spotlights that kind of come and go. And I think Mikhail, your points that, that you and Philip both made on, on Mikhail is, is perfect is like, he's going to have a game or a matchup or a series where he pops right off, but then he'll disappear again in some of the other ones when he's got a defensive assignment, but yeah, I'm not going to go through it. I just encourage people to go and look at those top six guys, their points per game last season, their points per game in the regular season, uh, sorry, in the playoffs last season, and then their points per game in the, in the regular season this season. 
And you'll see the trends that I'm kind of talking about with Aiton and Cam Johnson about why they might be the guys come playoff time that are that are ready to take on the workload. But yeah, let's go back to Shamit. I I've been big on defending Shamit and got myself in a little bit of trouble doing so. Um, I was afraid. I, just, I know you've been listening. I was afraid you were going to come after me last week, a few weeks ago, <laughs> in our "Just So You Know" section. I said Shamit stunk, and it was right after seeing somewhat of a defensive Shamit from you. And I was like, "Oh, David's going to hunt me down for this." I made sure to ridicule Ryan <laughs> offline. I didn't want people to know how much I hated that response. You, you but... specifically were in mind when I made that. I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> David's going to hate this." You know, this is why I love podcasts, and this is why I love the opportunity to jump on with you guys and why I used to love doing it with Max and and hopefully we have a few more as the postseason rattles around because you can't you can't surmise in a tweet what you're really thinking that you can talk about on a podcast. And I think this is a really great question, a great topic to go over. So yeah, I think it's fine to point out that he sucked. He has sucked. I just think that it's done and has been done all season in a kind of incorrect way from a lot of people. So you know I think there's two important points when it comes to Shamit. And as you said, Ryan, let's focus on can he be a, a rotation player in the playoffs rather than like what he's doing now or for the rest of the season. Three-point percentage. They traded for him to be a three-point shooter, to be a spacer. He is a 39 career percent, oh, sorry, 39% career shooter from deep. He's currently 35%, lowest of his career. Again, looking at trends, injuries, health, I'm willing to bet a fair amount of money that he is going to turn that around because it's been his four years in the NBA that he's been much closer to 40% from three. He's getting wide open looks on this team. There's absolutely no reason he should be 35% because you know he's played on some really good teams, those Clippers teams, that early Philly team. Um, but I would say the spacing on this team is, you know, the most optimized he's ever been in this role. And yet, career worst figures. So I'm willing to bet that that's going to turn around. And I made this point during the week. It's probably the one that you're talking about, um, Ryan, where I think as a role player, it's really hard when you're having a tough stretch because you come in for like three minutes. And if you miss your first two shots, you're sure as hell not going to take that third one when you're sharing the court with like Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. Because if you miss that one, then you're getting pulled. And I think that's a really hard position to be in. And I was really excited for him to take on that starter role because he's going to get 12, 13, 14 shots a night. Um, I think he even had a game, you know, where he started out slow the other day, but his job is to keep shooting and he turned it around. So, yeah, I think this is a really great opportunity for him to get that percentage up towards the end of the season. At which point, when you're talking about playoffs, that makes him playable. The other point that I think is really important that really makes him playable is his defense. And I've been really impressed by his defense. If you think like a shooter, like Shamit, the teams go out and cover and get, and then they fall to the end of the bench come playoffs because they're just getting hunted on defense. And even if they're shooting really, really well, the coach can't play them because they're giving up as many points on the other end that they're adding to the team. So the the main reason I'm really high on him potentially turning it around is if it, the shooting falls, the defense is already there. He's, he's doing a great job as a small forward sometimes, a backup shooting guard, ch- chasing guys around the perimeter, staying in front of guys. So that's the main reason. If he wasn't showing that and the shooting was also off, I'd be like, 
it, I'd be hot. Like things are going right for the Suns in the playoffs if he's in the rotation because it's going to get hunted on D. And, you know, you're really hoping that just in one game or in one series, he turns the shooting around. So, yeah, I have faith. But again, to throw it back to you guys here a little bit, I don't want to do all the talking. We all know when it comes to the playoffs, you play eight, maybe nine guys. Here's seven names. Paul, Booker, Mikhail, Jay, Aiton, and the two Cams. That's seven guys already. So really, at the end of the day, and I think this is something that I've really been delving into recently when it comes to Monty. He's got probably Holiday and Shamit fighting for one spot in a series, McGee and Biombo fighting for one spot, and then you've got Tory, Frank, Peyton, Dario, who's probably not coming back, and that's the rest of the roster. I don't think the question is, will Shamit play in the playoffs? Is there a role for Landry to play in the playoffs? I think the question is, how do they get as many of those guys that I just mentioned playing as well as they possibly can towards the end of the season to give Monty as many options to ride a hot hand for that eighth spot? Because every series is going to be different. We're going to need more McGee and Biombo in one series. We're not going to need a backup center at all in another series. And that maybe that's when the, the op- opportunity opens up. So get confidence into these guys is probably the main point that I'm trying to make here. Get them, you know, playing their role to their absolute best ability come that end of the season. And then it's on Monty. You know, I know that's a catch cry on Twitter. This one's on Monty, you know, it it really is. And to be honest, I have sometimes probably think that a weakness of Monty is if you give him too many options, he kind of rides out certain options too much but at the end of the day, when it came to the playoffs and decisions needed to be made, he kind of showed last year he's, he's willing to make the decisions that need to be made. So first question I'd throw at you guys, Holiday or Shamit? Monty needs a guard off the bench. Who's he going? This might seem counterintuitive. Oh, go ahead, Philip. My question would be, what is, what is the specific need that he that he needs addressed? Because I was impressed with Aaron's facilitating the first the first few games that he played this is this is classic basketball this is basketball 101 he got his feet into the lane and then made a quick decision his first several games and i think as he's gotten adjusted to some of the some of the sunsets there have been some growing pains with him especially this past this past week but i was really impressed with the way he was getting to the lane finding especially finding open shooters and his float game was nice a couple a couple games so i really i really like that supposedly according to jj reddick's pod that he has supposedly landry has had that in his bag at some point during his career i don't think we've seen that as much we just haven't seen it consistently so if you need a facilitator then i would say aaron holiday if you're needing someone to fill more of the devin booker role for a few minutes off the bench, which is hypothetically what Landry's job is on this team, then I still think it's Landry. I I like how Landry plays. Ethan and I were watching a game together a couple of nights ago, and we had an extended discussion about Landry. And I made the comment, Landry plays a good game. He's just missing a lot of shots. And basketball and the NBA itself boiled basketball down a few seasons ago into it's a make or miss league. 
And that that's not entirely true. And it's especially not true when we're talking about the regular season. Like if you're getting a good shot and you miss, okay, live to fight another day because you ran a good set. Somebody made a good read and you got an open look. And I think Landry adds a lot to an offense. I think he does a good job getting, getting good looks most of the time. And again, we've seen that primarily with him in that if we go traditional, traditional positions, I've seen that more of him in the two than I have in the one. So if you need a one, Aaron, if you need a two, Landry. And I think that's a good answer because I think, you know, as much as people saw the holiday acquisition as like losing faith in Landry, I, I don't think it, it's that at all. I think Monty shows a lot of faith in his guys and they tend to pay him back eventually. And I think, Philip, what you've touched on there is in the, the you know, they went out and got Tory as an extra wing, which was, I guess, the Abdul Nader replacement or just realizing that they may need an extra wing that can small ball five at some point. And then I think you've got Landry in one guard role and Holiday in the other guard role. And I think you've got Bismack in one big role and JaVale in one big role. So it's not, for mine at least, it shouldn't be who's going to be, who's going to beat out which guy for that eighth or ninth spot come playoff time. It's can you get all four guys as confident as they can possibly be going into the playoffs? So when Monty needs that square peg to put in the square hole, he's got the guy and he's not trying to shove circle Aaron holiday into square peg that really they need Landry because Landry's confidence has just fallen off a cliff and they're just going to have to try and plug holiday in there. So I really like the way that the roster is sitting for Monty to kind of pick those guys. Now they just need to use these last 20 games. You know, before the bucks game, I really thought they were just going to maybe play McGee 10 games and beyond both 10 games and kind of just like keep them both, you know, fit and in form and, and ready to go. Cause I think they plug different holes. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I'll throw it to Ethan and Ryan here to kind of talk uh, on Shamit, I guess, before we move on. But yeah, I think you touched on a good point there, Philip. Well, I was going to come in and fortunately Philip did it for me. I think I, I was going to say, you know, I think the, the, the cheap answer, but I think is the right answer is it, it's situational. And it's probably counterintuitive based off of the point I made in my just so you know a couple of weeks ago. But I think, and to the point you made earlier, I'm going to go Landry Shamit if I have to pick one. If I have to pick one, it, it's Landry Shamit because of the defense he brings, because of, of that background in his shooting. To your point, that's not going to last forever. Um, and, and people tend to rise to the occasion in the playoffs. Now, I think, again, to one of your earlier points, I think that's what makes this time right now that we have really advantageous in some ways with with Booker hurt or in in protocols and with Chris hurt and Cam with his contusion we're getting to see some guys get significantly more minutes in positions they may not have otherwise been getting those minutes in uh, and so it's really to Monty's favor right now to kind of to, to your point plug different guys in, in holes they may have not filled before so I think you know if if the situation arose and I had to pick one it's Shamit for me uh, just because of that defensive uh, mindset he brings and the fact that he's been in the system just a little bit longer. Um, but, you know, I, I think we're fine either way, which is really a, a nice place to be as a Suns fan who has, you know, watched some very slim teams as, as far as depth is concerned. Yeah. I saw the hall. I saw the holiday acquisition as an Alfred Payton replacement. Like I never yeah. once saw that affecting Landry in the slightest. And, and even though that it's a fun, like campaign versus holiday, who's the few, not even in the same realm right now in terms of, yeah fit for the team. 
Uh, Phillips heard me say it a, a thousand times because we get to watch live. Ryan moved away from us. He doesn't get to do that as much anymore. But La- Landry's just always in the right place. Like he will get scored on, but he was in the right place doing the right thing. People joke, oh, he misses so many open shots. It's like they don't realize that you get an open shot because you also did something right. It's not, hey, the offense magically just created this open role. Like, no, you have to play your part. And Shamit does it. And again, I think you look you look big picture. He's going to hit those shots. He's done it for a long time. He'll figure it out. And Philip mentioned the, the Reddick podcast. I liked watching Shamit in college. And the Shamit in college was not what Shamit in the pros has been. And I think part of it is when you get to the NBA, unless you bring X amount of massive game-changing traits, you're going to be pigeonholed. And for him, given his size, his stature, what he can do, the five-point-something assists per game in college that got him you know, conference player of the year, whatever, that's not going to translate because he's playing in a smaller conference against different dudes in the NBA, he's not a point guard that can do what NBA point guards can do. And so they said, you can shoot. That's wonderful. That's your thing now. And he's playing on a bunch of winning teams with good players that are filling all those other roles. Uh, So I agree. I think Chris being out and then book being out is allowing us to see what some of these guys can do. I think Shamit has again, small sample size proven that, but I'm happy to see the good in holiday that we've seen. Uh, you gave me a small panic attack as you were listing those seven players. And I was just like, but he hasn't said this name and he hasn't said this name. And what about <laughs> JaVale? Right. And I think every single broadcaster mentions anytime there's a Suns game on national TV, the incredible depth that the Suns have. Uh, and and yep. to your point, that's, that's going to come around on Monty come playoff time. But speaking of playoff time, it walks us right into our next question, which uh, is in my opinion, kind of the last heavy hitter of of the uh of the episode here and it comes from cody hunt who i have been a fan of for a very long time on twitter give the disclaimer about when following cody is dangerous uh when it comes to food takes no that wasn't he the guy around watching the, the trade deadline oh, no the trade deadline doesn't he go back and he's the dude who yes. retweets the <laughs> yes. old woge he will around the look, trade deadline he'll go back have, like seven years to get guys who could like hypothetically be in a trade this time. So Cody is fun, but just, just beware, beware of following Cody. I have never talked. (laughs) I don't think one-on-one with Cody, but I will say when it comes to food takes, uh, be aware, trade deadline, free agents, uh, be aware. (laughs) He's, he's gotten me a few times. Luckily I've not retweeted them, but it always gives me that tiny little panic attack. Uh, But I also think there is a video of him hitting like 10 plus threes in an empty gym with some questionable form, but hey, it's a make or miss league. He's making Cody. It Cody is hoodie mellow. Is that what we're saying? Basically, hey, the man can hit <laughs> funkiest, funkiest form on it Sun's is, Twitter. To be is, honest, but can we, David, can we get a video breakdown of that? The way you would break down some Suns pick and roll action. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I started breaking down chugging with the fellas videos in the playoffs <laughs> last year. So maybe I need to do people's jump shots. But hey, to Phillips' great point before, you know, process over results. Uh, He's got, it may look funny, but it's the same every single time and and it goes in a lot. So yeah, keep shooting. Well, well, Cody hit us with this one, uh, which is in essence like six questions in one. But the question was, how would you rank the following teams by matchup difficulty 
for the Suns in the playoffs. And the teams that were mentioned with stipulations, because Cody doesn't mess around, we have the Warriors with Clay and Draymond healthy, so normal Warriors. We have the Grizzlies, the Jazz, the Mavericks, the Nuggets, with the disclaimer, Porter healthy, Murray not, which seems to be tracking. And then the Clippers, Paul George healthy, Kawhi not. That one, I honestly am not as in tune to Paul George's timeline and Kawhi's timeline, but I think I'm guessing based on this question that that is a projected playoff rotation. Uh, Now, I have my answer, but people listen to me talk all the time. So, David, with this monstrous question in front of you, how do you rank these teams come playoff time? We'll get to that, and we can do... (laughs) All of our answers, all in the one go at the end here. I don't want to drag it out too long, but I found this a really interesting exercise in just, you know, I haven't been projecting forward too much and looking at the standings. It's going to be a pretty tough road to the finals again when you look at this. And the way I broke it down is I I froze the standings as of last night or, or whatever. So whenever people listen to this, they may have changed a little bit, but Phoenix are way out on top. I don't think that's going to change you got the Warriors and the Grizz kind of flip-flopping in the two and the three at the moment. Then you've got this four, five, six of Utah, Dallas, and Denver that could go anyway by the end of the season. And then this whole morass of teams at the end that could be in the play-in, you know, the Wolves, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Pelicans, maybe even the Blazers and the Spurs if they make a, a late run. So I looked at it round one you're probably going to get the Clippers or the Lakers if we stay in the one spot. And that's tough. You know, that's really tough. I think the Lakers are sorry, the Clippers. I mean, they, they're not great with information. You know, I've heard Bill Simmons allude recently that Kawhi might be the one who comes back and Paul George doesn't like, you know, nobody knows how that, that what that team's going to look like at the end. But even if one of them are healthy, we've seen, you know, that switch heavy, play just five wings, small ball, make it a real tough matchup for the Suns. I think that's really hard. Now, when we get to our rankings, I don't think I'd put them right at the top of the pile here, but as far as a first round matchup goes, like that's tough. Let's go a question within a question here again. If we say we get through that, we get to round two. Who are you hoping falls in that four, five and wins round one out of Utah, Dallas, and Denver. I've got my answer. Let's go one word each. Uh, Ethan, let's start with you. Who do we want in round two out of those three? I'd go with Dallas. Out of those. So Utah, Dallas, Denver, Ryan? Dallas. Nuggets. Suns in four, baby. <laughs> oh, no, not again. Please let that not thing die again. forever and ever and ever and ever. Bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> Just All kidding. Right. I got I got really frustrated with that last season, but we're bringing it back just for this one podcast, and then it can go away. All I, right. I, I, I agree. I, I was Dallas, um, but I've got Dallas and Denver kind of in the same tier there, and I think for probably the same reason we're all thinking. Great first option, not a lot behind them. Uh, I think Cody's question said, what, Porter healthy, Murray not healthy, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not worried about Michael Porter Jr. at all. Um, so, you know, as good as Jokic and Doncic are, I think I trust the Suns to kind of have a scheme that, you know, lets them get theirs and shuts everyone else down. So I think that kind of starts to show us where the the teams kind of differ here. And then round three, like, I mean, I don't know if you guys have an opinion on it with the, the Warriors or Memphis, but 
that's both going to be tough if they make it through to the finals here. So without dragging it on too much longer, I'll go with my original answer to the question and not dodge it any further. I was Dallas, then Denver. And then if we're talking about a Paul George healthy uh, Clippers, I'd actually put them third, like uh, above those other two teams. And I'd rather play the other two in a first round matchup, but that's not going to happen. I'd then go Utah, who are real tough out, but I just think that our history against that team is pretty good. Um, And then to split Memphis and Golden State, I mean, we're pretending like Golden State are 100% healthy and that's going to scare the hell out of me if they are. So I'd go Memphis and and then the Warriors last. So that's where I sit. I struggle with this type of question. I think you guys realize I'm probably more, you know, I'm more likely to give an honest answer after game one of a playoff series, even if we lose it, you know, just I'm a more like I've got to see it type thing. And a lot of funny games get played in the regular season. So it's, kind of hard to know where we stand against a couple of teams, but that would be my answer right now. I don't, I don't know where you guys maybe differ with that list. Philip, you got your list in front of you. Where'd you put these guys? Or was it the exact same? If it's the exact same, that'd be pretty adorable. It was really similar. And I actually just want to give, I want to give a shout out to the Clippers. They are, they are doing something really impressive right now. And I think, I think there might be some animosity from Suns fans towards the Clippers mainly because the the win last year in the conference finals got a, got negated by some online because Kawhi wasn't healthy the clippers the clippers are really good with the way they play they play a good game i was impressed with them both on the offensive defensive end the last time the the suns played and they just have wings and multiple guys who can put the rock in the hoop, which is a simple analysis because I haven't done too much digging into the Clippers, but they are not, if they're on the opposite side of the Western conference bracket, that will be some, that will be a good thing for the Suns. And I think you could do, you could have an interesting discussion when it gets closer to the playoffs of which LA team would you rather see in round one? And for the way the Suns are currently constructed and the way the Lakers are currently playing, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Suns would rather see the Lakers in the first round rather than the Clippers. And that's that doesn't necessarily come down to, it definitely doesn't come down to individual talent on the team. It comes down to style of play. The Clippers play a style of play that matches up with the Suns better than most of the other teams in the Western Conference. You're making me feel good with my answer here. So I had a healthy Warriors as the toughest out, the team I'm most likely. Uh, And we agreed, David, kind of on the bottom end. I think Dallas is the easiest, then Denver. The Utah Clippers Grizzlies gave me a lot of of head scratching and thinking. And in terms of who I would rather see, and I know this will be different from you guys based on what I've heard, is I would, out of those three, I would rather see Memphis. And some of that has to do more with the psychology than the basketball. Um, a lot of young guys trying to make a massive step at one time. Where have we seen that before, right? The Suns outperformed being in that same place last year. I don't know if the Grizzlies could do that again. I also think matchup-wise, the Suns would be all right. Like, I don't see one area where I'm just like, oh, crap, what do we do? 
I actually then would put the Clippers as the next easiest. I, I am more concerned with the Jazz. They've had a lot of guys that have done it, and I know we've beaten them almost too many times for me to feel comfortable. Uh, their coaching and our coach, like it seems like everyone knows what's going to happen, and that concerns me. Gobert also just concerns me. Um, watching what he was able to do, it's fun to mess with them. It's fun to kind of just troll them for being the big COVID goof and everything that comes with that. The guy's got talent. Mitchell eventually will have that playoff year. I'm just convinced there will be a year where he goes off and just makes it happen. I hope it's not this year. I had the Clippers as the third hardest, and maybe that is me thinking more strategy than actual players on the court. But to Phillip's point, I think the way that they go about playing and how they're constructed is a really good kind of counter to the Suns, like putting a bunch of tall, long, quick-footed, athletic wings, sometimes rolling out five of them, that can stifle an offense that the Suns like to play, uh, where they're either getting in passing lanes or they're bringing more physicality to the perimeter than what the Suns are used to. I just think they're annoying. And what's what's nuts is I had this answer even with Paul and Kawhi out of the question, and I know that sounds nuts. But watching the matchups this year, they just really, really hurt the Suns when the Suns are trying to do what they want to do. And so in terms of just a straight matchup, I think the Clippers are really well built. I would absolutely rather see the Lakers. And I know that some people are always going to be terrified of LeBron. The dude has earned it. I get it. But the Clippers are really, really good. And that's not even the weird anomaly that is. Every Morris twin wants to drop 50 against the Suns as some Ryan McDonough punishment, right? Like, it's just, that's a weird team for me. But uh, to your point, David, healthy Warriors will always be the scariest thing in the league to me, no matter what, until we have yep. moved past that. We won't go into the the discussion of folks on in Suns Twitter thinking that the Warriors are trash now and look at all this <laughs> nonsense. They're still the Warriors. If they get healthy, I think people devalue Draymond and his impact. Uh, and if he gets healthy and starts playing, I think he will quickly prove everyone wrong who thought that there wasn't a big deal there. Um, Ryan, your answer's pretty in line with, with what's been said. Anything crazy? Uh, I think for the most part, I've got the Warriors. I'm going to go most challenging to least challenging. I've got Warriors number one. And I also think none of us have mentioned Steve Kerr's impact, but I think he's just a great coach and he prepares his team for the playoffs really well. So it's hard for me to bet against a Steve Kerr coach team with everybody healthy. That is a scary fact. Um, I have the Grizzlies second, and this is more of an emotional argument, I think, than, than X's and O's. This just seems like their year to do something special. Jaw has been really special, and, and there's just something exciting about this team that feels like they could go on one of those magical runs. So again, not an X's and O's argument necessarily, there's just something different. And it's the way I felt about the Suns last year is kind of how I feel about this Grizzlies team. They just seem to be clicking in a lot of really interesting and fun ways. I've got the Clippers third. Um, I, I just think that they're, they gave us, you know, a hard time last season They're with, with, if we're considering Paul George healthy, even without Kawhi, that's going to be a dangerous team. Um, I've got the jazz after that. And then nuggets Mavericks. I think the Mavericks is, is the, the most palatable matchup out of all of those to, to David's point. I think if you take Luca off the table, we run them out of the gym. Um, 
not to put words in your mouth, but I, I just I just think the you know Luca is the Mavericks, and without Luca, there isn't much to go on at that point when you look at how our teams match up. So I would yeah I would go Warriors, Grizzlies, Clippers, Jazz, Nuggets, Mavericks. Spencer Dinwiddie would uh, be a little offended by your response <laughs> there, man. I don't know the Mavericks made some pretty big trades. They got another know, man. large, can, tall white man who he can, can talk to me about his Bitcoin them. and NFTs later. I'm not worried <laughs> no. about it. Uh, I think the I mean, there's two things that come, that kind of come up through this conversation for me. I mean, the first is such a classic example of how your opinion changes on something when it impacts your team. But the playing is so unfair when you're at the top. Like, we're going to have the Lakers potentially fall out of the top eight spots and make their way back in through the play-in, or the Clippers, for that matter. And the other thing that is worse than that, in my opinion, I touched on this last year, and thankfully it, it didn't become an issue. The fact that the Suns are six games, seven games ahead right now, and they can't really lock in who their likely first-round opponent is and have their you know back-office staff start working on that, I actually think is a huge disadvantage. And it's a bigger disadvantage when you have a couple of teams that have been hit by injuries or you know whatever the hell the Lakers have been hit with that may get it right at the right, you know, time of the year. And then all of a sudden you've got them in the first round, but you don't find out until like two days before your, your series starts. So I think that is something that I, you know, I'm thinking about quite a lot here as those teams, you know, jostle around for position. And then I think the other thing that just all four of us kind of stumbled into here is we're more worried about the teams that are probably likely to throw some weird defensive stuff at the Suns and that have really good coaches and we're less worried about the teams that are just going to try and outscore us because we know that that's probably not going to happen with how good the Suns' defense is and, and how good our offense is as well. So, yeah, when we kind of talk about the Clippers and, and Utah and then obviously the Warriors at the very end being the, the biggest um, you know ones we're worried about, I think that's kind of what comes to mind. I'm only worried about Memphis because of Jar. I said this on Twitter the other day. I think we kind of struggle at the point of attack against those real dynamic guards um, and a lot gets asked of Mikhail in those matchups, but I think they'd still work it out. Eventually. You just don't get to see those guys very much during the regular season. You know, it's a very different league these days. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to make a road trip to Memphis. I think it's April 1st to actually watch those two teams battle it out. Unfortunately, when making a decision like that, you want to hope that you get to see both teams at full strength. Who knows who's back? I know Chris won't be. And I also don't know what seating is going to look like in another two, three weeks. And, and that's got me a little hesitant there. Uh, but I would like to apologize in advance, David, as, as much as we're contributing to these questions, we're now moving into a realm uh, that you have made your home for the last little bit, uh, a world where we can pretend to have opinions, but honestly would just be uh, reading numbers that we found online. And that is contract talks, money and what is to come. Now, most opinions that I give when people ask me these questions are just things that I read you write. Um, I take what you wrote and I said, that absolutely seems like the intelligent opinion. And usually that's just kind of how I go about it. Um, Again, the amount of time and effort you put into that side of basketball is one that I think most people, uh, I know most people don't. So we wanted to get some of the questions from, from our listeners that were contract specific, uh, whether that's potential trades, potential signings, and things of that matter. So we're going to go a little quick hitter on this one here. First question comes from MC Kramer 
at Thug Notes 2, do you see a scenario where Shamit and Crowder are moved to make room for a Cam Johnson contract? All right, first thing off the bat here, I'm making a special exception for you guys, so I hope you realize it's how much I like you and the podcast (laughs) at the moment. I've banned all off-season talk until the off-season because this team is just too fun, and people get dragged into these conversations, whether it's DeAndre Ayton's max, Cam Johnson's extension. Oh, wait, did DeAndre Ayton have some sort of a max something? (laughs) I must have missed that one, sorry. Yeah, well, that's a good way to look at it because we should be enjoying the basketball, but I love this stuff, so I'm making a special exception. We won't get too far into the weeds on it, though. Let's clear up a bit of a misconception that this question is, is kind of posing and that fans in general I've seen kind of fall into the trap a little bit. Cam Johnson can get his extension this offseason. It doesn't kick in until the the season after, much like Mikhail's current contract and if DeAndre Aiden got said mysterious contract last offseason as well. So next season, Cam Johnson makes $5.8 million. Jay Crowder is in the last year of his deal. Landry Shamit is in the second last year of his guaranteed deal. So when you're looking at guys like Jay Crowder and Landry Shamit, I don't think they're in the way for a Cam Johnson extension. So I wouldn't worry about those contracts in particular. Now, when it gets to that season, the cap's about 125 mil. Tax is around 152 at the moment. The Suns are already going to be about 104 mil into like five players. So there's no doubt that the money is going to be tight but it's not those specific guys that you're talking about. And even if we pretend that they somehow get off the Landry contract or something and and get down to like 94 mil, they're going to have a lot to play with. It's more how you talk about DeAndre and Cam Johnson. And it's actually the reverse. DeAndre's decision is probably going to affect Cam Johnson's decision at the end of the day. There's a few underrated keys that I'll point out here. New TV deal, the first year into Cam Johnson's deal. So even we can throw all these numbers around and they probably won't be accurate when the deal actually comes up. So just don't get yourself dragged into them too much. It's a later problem to think about. Um, One thing that's totally worthwhile worrying about is the tax. Is our current owner actually going to pay the tax? I wouldn't worry too much about the fact that he didn't pay it this year because there's a thing called the repeater tax. So when you know that the tax is coming up, it's actually, you're not being cheap. It's just advantageous to stay out of it if you can, as long as you can, because then you get more years paying it without it being a huge penalty to you. But we've kind of got to see it to believe it when it comes to that. Um, This is the guy to worry about. Don't worry about Landry Shamit. Don't worry about Jay Crowder. Worry about Chris Paul. Because the first year that Cam Johnson's extension kicks in, Chris Paul still owed $30 million as a 39-year-old, and 18 of that is guaranteed. So not to throw him under the bus, he's actually the guy that if Cam Johnson doesn't return, is probably the most likely to blame. Interesting. I'm so glad you made an exception for us. Uh, because, yeah, and you kind of already touched on it. Our next question from... Uh, I think we got it from multiple people or we kind of combine them here. Rachel at uh, Rellsworth 92 and Yimmy at Prime Yemis. The question was kind of on the specifics. How much do you think it's going to take to extend Cam 
And how does that impact DA? You kind of already said it. Cam is probably going to be more impacted by DA rather than the reverse. But we're looking at, you know, Mikhail gets four for 90. Where do you think Cam falls in that? Let's just take the externals, right? Everyone else's contracts off the table. Just in terms of proper evaluation, what do you think we could see Cam Johnson get uh, after a, a big step forward in his career this year? Again, let me throw it back at you guys. Let's think about the fact, you know, I don't know where your opinion is on Mikhail and Cam Johnson, whether the same level, one's above the other one. Try and factor in that we're talking a season later so a guy can often get paid more even though he's not a better player than the other one. Uh, You said, Ethan, four for 90 was Mikhail's price. Do you pay more or less or the same for Cam? And them being best friends, does that factor into it at all? Well, right? we've got a history of paying twins, you know, one contract. True. Oh, back what a, in the day. So. What a joke. I wish, <laughs> I wish you could spend an off-season episode talking about that. Uh, but no, yeah, I, I think that's probably a good question to start. Ryan and Philip, Cam versus Mikhail, who do you value more? It, it's not a versus. It's, but I'm asking you, Cam I, versus yeah. Mikhail, I, who I do talk you about value this, more? I talked about this students up with my students all the time, you get to set the parameters of your own argument. So here I am setting the parameters of my own argument. The combo of Mikhail and Cam can be really special. It is special right now for basketball reasons primarily, but then also the joy they get from each other is just something, Ryan, you mentioned the communal aspect of just watching basketball generally. I think those two add so much to the Suns as an organization that you can integrate guys like Aaron. You can have a guy like Tori who seemed to want to come back the entire year based off of some of his social media mm-hmm. presence. It is a, it seems like a really good team to be a part of. And you have two guys there who I think can carry that on for years down the road. So here's what I would say, not a versus I would, I would attempt to pay cam equivalently not equally equivalently to what Mikhail got which would mean on paper you're paying Cam half a step more than you're paying Mikhail maybe a little bit maybe a little bit more than that but I think this year Cam is proving himself in incredibly valuable ways a dynamic three-point shooter a really good defender and I think a great team defender he is the kind of guy you want. And if you can lock him in and then you think, okay, the Suns can lock in if they're willing to pay, they can lock in DA, Booker, Mikhail, Cam Johnson. If these guys continue improving, that is enough of a nucleus in my mind to then bring in gear to your contracts and still have very successful seasons. So I, I am all in on investing in the core of this team with Book, DA, Mikhail, and Cam. Back That's up the Brinks truck, give them the money, and then fill in the gaps. Four, four guys to build around, I think that's enough. That's, that's where I would fall on it too. And, and this just could be my ignorance here in understanding how contract negotiations work. And I'm also tend towards the optimism side of these things. I also like to think if a 39-year-old Chris Paul is facing those four guys sticking around with a potential another finals run at at 40 years old, that he could renegotiate at the time again. I don't know how how that works and how that would play into it, but I would like to think if he's opting in between going and chasing the bag 
or, or sticking around on a restructured deal that would pay him less to keep those guys paid. Um, I would, I would like to think that that's the route we would take if that's an option that's on the table. And again, that could be my ignorance. Um, you, you're going to have to bring, you're going to have to bring me back on the podcast to delve into that one. Cause that's, that's tickling all of the things that I like to, to delve into. And so. that's why I did it. <laughs> See, that's the, I've that's... actually, I, yeah, I have, I've speculated that exactly what they did with his contract was for a couple of flexibility reasons. One being they could waive that, uh, 17.8 million guarantee if he fell off a cliff and stretch out the money for five years. Uh, and that would be way a way to bring everybody back. Uh, and the second would be still paying that 30, really have a hefty tax bill uh, in that one year when everyone's kind of getting paid big money at the same time. Uh, and then have him come back as a 40 year old, you know, backup point guard assistant coach on, on very little money while everyone else is getting paid. So yeah, we'll, we'll cre- have to delve into that at some point. Credit where it's due. I've never seen, I don't think anybody call a shot the way you called how Chris Paul's contract would end up last off season. Like that was amazing. And that's why I'm curious to see how that comes into play. Cause you had, you were so attuned to how that would probably play out. And it almost fell like dominoes exactly how you kind of, you know, projected that it may. So I, I was hoping that you might have some opinions on that and hopefully we can get you back to, to continue that conversation yeah. at some point. Real quick to put a point on it though, David, hypothetically speaking, because all of these guys are under contract, they can sign extensions because they're on the team, even if that takes the Suns over the salary cap, right? Oh, 100%. We'd have bird rights on all of these there guys. It it's all good. It, yeah. It, all this comes down to Sava's wallet or whoever's the owner at the time's wallet um, at the end of the day. You know, we're seeing mm. at the moment Brooklyn Nets have a giant tax bill. The Warriors have a giant tax bill. It's very easy if you have money and are willing to spend it to bring back guys that you brought in and drafted yourself. And that's why it would be such a shame for some of these guys to be let go because if you are employing people to make hits, with their draft decisions and then you're not willing to pay them when they do hit, that's kind of, you know, a, a really, st- you know, bad sticking point for how you should be running a team. So yeah, I think to, I guess to maybe last touch on this, Ethan, maybe you've got some, some thoughts to jump in as well before we segue to the Aiton part of it. I think the giveaway in last off season with Aiton and not wanting to max him was that, and maybe this is the optimist in me. Maybe this is me being hopeful. I think they want one max guy in Devin Booker. And then they realize that Aiton, Bridges, Cam Johnson all kind of need to be paid roughly the same amount of money. Uh, and that's what one way that you can keep the core together. As soon as you go the two max route, that's when one of Mikhail or Cam, if they get an offer from elsewhere, are a lot harder to bring back. So I saw that as a giveaway um, for what their overall philosophy with this core is. Yeah. And my kind of response to that, and it, I think ties well is when Phillips talking about this idea of that core of four that you can build around. If, if I was forced to say what I would want the core to be, if you cut it to three, it would be Booker, Cam and Mikhail because, and I've been, this is, this is an effort that I hope will pay off one day. and, And until then it's just, me playing with Excel documents much later into the night than I need to. But I've been looking at past championship teams and trying to find some sort of calculation breakdown law of averages that equates positional importance to the amount of money that's being put in it to championship teams. 
because I think going back to arguments on Twitter that I had during the eight and draft, when the game develops, so does the importance of certain areas. And I think the position of center is one of those. And for me, if I'm trying to replace one of those four guys, I think it's going to be easier given the financial capabilities needed to find another center for less money that can fill that role. Now, Aiton, like we've all talked about, the reason you don't want to mess up with him or mess it up letting him go elsewhere is even if that number creeps high because he was yours from day one, you will always have that extra bit of flexibility that no one else has. For that same reason, though, I can look at other positions or other players on good teams, championship teams, contending teams that have been able to replace whether it be with one or two bigs, what Aiton brings to the table. And so for me, I hope you're right. I hope it's optimistic. And I hope, again, more optimism, that as a number one overall pick who definitely has some dominating confidence, he would be willing to listen to an idea that doesn't say, you're our guy, here's all the money. Because I, again, as a guy that doesn't make anywhere near that, I don't know how that affects Ego personality expectations, right? That's a whole nother part of it that none of us normal humans down on earth can understand. But for me, I think Cam Johnson, I think to your point, Philip, you see what the cap is one year down the road and whatever the equivalent of four for 90 is, that's that's where you've got to be. I don't think you need to undersell him because he may not get the national attention. I, I am still convinced his ceiling is higher than McHale's. I don't know how hot or cold that is within the community. But I think because his floor is so high on both ends and he has still a ceiling that I don't think he's got close to reaching, he is so valuable. Losing out on him is huge. Also, and this is a David question for another day, we're also dealing with two first-round picks that aren't picks one through five in terms of where the money breaks down, like with a late lottery pick in both. And I don't even know with McHale where draft rights got traded, how his contract works. But right, you're able to get good deals with these guys and keep them going for a very long time. And they're both older. They both came into the league older, I think, had reasonable expectations. And if you could give Cam that one contract where he knows he is set, that will also give you more flexibility down the road where he might be a part of the rotation of a winning organization, not the guy. But you at least have gotten that trust with him and I think kind of paid your dues by giving that guy that one big contract that even Aiton said, right, in his uh, pre-draft process when talking about what's the goal, get that second contract, right? Like, that's what they want. They want that one big bag to count yeah. on for the future. Uh, so I don't I don't know what the, the Aiton portion of it all is and how that plays into it. Um, but But Cam needs to get paid and Cam needs to stick around and they don't need to mess it up, even in the sense of pushing it a year back. Like, that is one... They need to take care of business. Don't lead to awkward hotel meetings with Sarver. Just like Shamit McHale, have it announced. Cam Johnson, extension, this much money. And we just, we move on with our lives to the next thing that stresses us out. Yeah, I think that's the really important point. This is Cam's one contract because of his age, like one big contract. Um, And to that, they can either do a de-extension this offseason like Mikhail, or they can force him to the next offseason and restricted free agency like DeAndre Ayton. I agree with you. Get it done this offseason. Don't have it be a problem when other teams can start sniffing around. Um, I'm, I'm 
anxious to see, you know, he changed agents, employed Devin Booker's dad. I say, as Melton one got of his, brought in on that, yeah. One of his four agents. I'm anxious to see whether they're like, yeah, looking for that guaranteed money deal this offseason or whether they're kind of happy to push it out and see if he can get an even bigger contract somewhere else. But, um, yeah, I, I would pay him. And I think you could find an amount of money that is like Mikhail advantageous enough for him to sign it now rather than back himself in for another season to try and get uh, an even bigger bag. So, yeah, I think there's a middle ground here. Is there, I think there's one last like Aiton more side question or. Well, right. Yeah. So basically the, the question there was, and I think you already touched on it. Does Cam's extension impact Aiden? And I think part of this comes from a misconception in my opinion, where everyone likes to rag on Landry Shamit's contract as if that money got taken from Aiden, right? Like we gave this guy his extension, but we didn't give DA or Mikhail and Shamit or, and I think you've already touched on it. That's not how the money works. It's not one big pot that is equally just handed out to each player. And so yeah. when we're talking cam extension, that really shouldn't have a massive impact on, on Aiden if they're wanting to make that happen. Is that correct? Yeah, it, it may have, and as I alluded to before, it may have an impact on eight and getting the full max, but I don't think it has an impact on one or both of them coming back. We're, we're doing an off-season podcast. I'm putting it here right now because the Shamit discussion is another thing that I need like 10 or 15 minutes to go into because it's just so poorly discussed amongst Sun's Twitter. So let's do that in the off-season. But uh, I said some homework for people before looking at the points per game with our core guys over the last couple of seasons. So this doesn't drag on too much. Some more homework for anyone listening. Go and look at John Collins year four, uh, who got five one twenty five, uh, Jarrett Allen year four, who got five one hundred, and DeAndre Ayton year four, and try and have a logical, non-emotional discussion with yourself about where DeAndre Ayton falls around that my guess right now without any kind of intel or reporting that we won't get until the off season i think he's going to be around john collins i think it's going to be five years 125 give him a player option so if he absolutely explodes he can opt out a year early and get himself another big contract um like i alluded to before i don't think the suns no matter really what he does are going to be handing out a max i think they already played that card last off season. They made it very clear, even with some pretty brutally honest quotes from James Jones, that they just didn't see him as a max player. So um, I don't think he's changed that much this season yet to disprove that. Um, but I think the money's going to be too good to go and sign an offer, a, a worse offer sheet elsewhere to force the Suns hands. Again, probably the optimist in me, but I think there's a nice middle ground there. Yeah, I think when we talked, we had an episode about just the Suns draft class and how, in my opinion, I think they won that year. And I, th I think my projection or the other people I said to look at, uh, funny enough, played on the same team. And that was Miles Turner and Sabonis. And both of them, if I remember right, were in that four to 80, four for 80 ish, I think that 20 ish amount. And I think we were talking that 25 to 27 range a year seemed reasonable without it being the max, but there's obviously this magic connotation of getting the max and being a max player and all that comes with it, let alone as the number one overall pick. Uh, but no, everyone, they've got their homework. Hopefully they listened and are going to go do some statistical comparisons. Our, uh, our special listeners will have a chart on Twitter for us 
uh, by end of day when this comes out. Uh, Philip, you got anything else before we kind of go on? No, but I was going to pivot. So we've been, we talked about homework and we, we've been giving homework on Into the Valley the last, the last several weeks, just as a way to kind of start a discussion and hopefully, hopefully get people thinking more critically about what they're watching on the basketball court. And David, that's obviously a passion that you have thinking critically and analytically about the product on the court, whether on the offensive side and the defensive side. And I want to give you just a minute to flex a little bit about the work that you did after the Portland game. And if you would, before we get into the questions that we have, we say a couple things about the empty corner work that you put in. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is why I think I said it on Twitter. This is why I rewatch because I am a fan and I get caught up during the game. I'm not really thinking X's and O's. Maybe occasionally you'll see a tweet from me, like look out for this or, or whatever. But, you know, I was, I was uh, just as much engrossed in a lot of those games as, as you know, everyone else. And, and I don't notice these things until I rewatch. Uh, as far as empty corner goes, this is something that I noticed very early in the season that was felt different to what the Suns were running last season. Um, and then, yeah, in that game specifically down the stretch, they just ran it possession after possession after possession. They found a couple of different ways to do it. I think the biggest tweak, I guess, to talk about it for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, empty corner is where you basically have three guys on the other side of the court and you will generally run a pick and roll uh, or a side, you know, baseline, uh, so, sorry, um, sideline screen for the ball handler on the near side of the court. You know, I guess when you're watching the telecast, at least. And and what happens there is everyone knows these days most teams will defend, you know, a two-on-two pick and roll uh, like you guys have so eloquently talked about in the last few episodes. You know, you might drop, you might blitz, uh, you might, you know, show a real hard double. Um, you might come up to the level of the screen, but a lot of teams will just throw three players at a two-player pick and roll as the best way to defend it and then try and rotate out from there when you've got an empty side and you're going two versus two that third player generally has to come from the far corner into the lane to stop the penetration and when you've got three shooters camped out on the other side it's very easy for a team like the suns to swing 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 get an open shot now the way the way that the suns mix it up if they go with ayton Standard pick and roll, his gravity rolling through the middle draws that third guy. They find a shooter every single time and they kill teams with it. But the other thing they've been doing is if Aiton's not on the court, they'll go with McHale or I think that game you're referencing, it was Jay Crowder. They'll set the screen. They obviously don't have the same gravity as DeAndre Aiton as a screener and roller. So they'll come up, set it and slip the screen and kind of um, fake, it's kind of a fake screen, I suppose you could call it. And then they'll roll into the lane, catch the team by surprise. Third guy has to come over, swing, 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 open shot. The Suns weren't doing this last year, not as much as what they're doing now. It's definitely a wrinkle this year that they looked at. uh, In my opinion, they looked at the early ball pressure that Chris Paul and Devin Booker were under in the playoffs and getting bogged down in their sets and kind of losing their momentum. And they went, how can we run more 
we don't want to be like just pure transition chaos because when you've got a guy like Chris Paul, that's a silly way to play basketball. But how can we get into our set really early in what they call the early offense? And I think the empty corner pick and roll is like the big change that they've made. Um, and that's only something that I pick up when I rewatch and you kind of go shit again, again, again. Mm-hmm. Maybe they mix it up and throw something different one possession, then they go back to it again and again. And yeah, they're just killing teams at the moment. Yeah. So so you're alluding to one of the one of the answers to this question, which is how can other people learn the game better? If they're interested in getting a mind that's similar to yours, or at least leveling up towards where where you're at when you're watching the game. One of the things you mentioned is rewatch the games, know the outcome of the game, but then go back and rewatch. What are other ways that people can get better at watching the game to learn? Yeah. So yeah, watch, watch, watch was the answer that I wrote down to this <laughs> question. Like I, I've said this in so many different places, Twitter, other podcasts, privately to people. I don't consider myself an X's and O's person. I don't consider myself really all that smart the the level up that i have over people is i can look at 99 of suns fans and just say i watch more basketball than you and that's not gloating or anything it's actually a pretty nerdy thing and i probably spend way too much time doing it but that's how i learn that's how i pick up on these things i watch 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 i've got league pass i can log on and at any time and re-watch any basketball that i want if you don't have that try and you know, tape the games, DVR the games when they are played. Um, you know, I notice a lot of people at the NBA.com site is awesome. It, you know, it, it's free to log on. You can watch every make, every miss, every assist, every rebound, every steal. It won't give you the whole thing. And sometimes I pick up things on league pass play calls and things that you won't get out of those little clips, but it gives you 85, 90% of what you need to see a lot of the time. So watch, you know, Twitter is an amazing place where clips are getting shared by people. YouTube, I don't delve into it as much unless I'm looking up something like empty corner or a term that I hear on a podcast or something, but use YouTube, Google things. Like I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I watch a lot of basketball and a lot of the time I'll hear something and go, I don't know what that is and I'll Google it and there'll be 10 people that have already broken it down for you to learn. So if you want to learn, there is through Twitter, podcasts, YouTube, there is definitely enough resources out there, sons or not sons for you to, to learn. And, you know, I've said, and this is why my philosophy is this way. I was lucky enough to find some people early on, on Twitter uh, that worked for NBA teams that had worked for NBA teams that were scouting college basketball who were really great to me. They allowed me to DM them annoying questions and took the time to answer. They came and guested on a podcast when I had it and explained their view of things. Um, And I've met some really great people, which is why as much as I get down on Twitter sometimes with, you know, some of the conversations that go on, on the other side of the world, I would have nothing if it wasn't for a platform like Twitter and being able to connect with some of the amazing people that I have. So I guess to finish it off and flip it the other way around, I say this all the time on Twitter, but I'll say it to anyone listening now, like DM me a question. If you see a clip that I share and I don't explain it well enough in the you know 200 characters that I'm allowed, you know, I try and do the voiceover clips and stuff sometimes, but that takes a lot of time. And sometimes I'll do it late at night and I'll wake up in the morning and like 
20 people have liked it and I'll kind of go, well, I'm not going to do that again because, you know, not many people got to see it sort of thing. So ask me questions. If you see something, you know, if you want to know something, I'm more than happy to share with people because a lot of people shared with me. Yeah. And that's, that's really helpful. And just to bring it down to different patterns that you might pick up on. So yesterday, the Suns employed a new defensive scheme against Giannis that I don't remember us seeing early on this season or even last season, where when Giannis set a pick and roll, they, the Suns switched and they fronted Giannis with a wing. It was Mikhail, the one that stood out to me. And then they allowed the Bucks to lob in an entry pass over the top. But as the ball was in the air, Mikhail starts running like he's rotating off of or over to a shooter. And DA comes over and guards Giannis on the post up. And I think when, when you watch, when you watch basketball over and over and you watch a team, a singular team, even you'll be able to pick up on ideas and go, that's a little bit different. Like I'm not used to seeing that what's going on there. And then you can hop on Twitter. Ethan and I were in an Xbox party. And the first time I wrote that down was in, was in the second quarter. So we immediately started talking about it, but then you hop on Twitter and you see, Mike and Sam of the timeline, they're talking about it. And then you can engage with, with those guys who are also really great talking about the X's and O's and you can engage in those discussions, which again, back to what Ryan said earlier, helps facilitate this community where it's not just fandom. Did we win or lose? It's, yeah. oh, we're doing interesting things here with our scheme as a team. Process over results. Yes. I can't say it enough. Yeah. I'm glad you gave Mike a shout out there. Cause he was definitely the first person that, that at least, went to Twitter. I, I haven't had a chance to talk about the Bucks game. So just quickly, I know we're going a little bit long here. My theory is that DA picked up a lot of cheap fouls in the finals with those early guards of, of Giannis, um, you know, bumping to, to get position and things. I think that's them protecting DA, still getting him to guard Giannis when it really matters, but not picking up cheap fouls when it doesn't matter. And I think it's a really smart way of looking at things. The other thought that I had from the Bucks game, which... it it just kind of dawned on me as it happened when we picked up all the bigs, I just thought it was insurance for fouls and things. I never anticipated a series where all the bigs might play. And I think I need to see it more. We're not going to see them play the bucks again until maybe eventual finals rematch, but I actually think they showed it their hand a little bit yesterday. And the reason Yana struggled so much is I think they're going to throw multiple guys and multiple coverages at Giannis over the whole course of a game. Cause I think one thing that showed in the finals in those fourth quarter annihilations of the Suns, to put it, you know, bluntly, he got comfortable and he'd worked it out. Whereas I think they're going to throw, you know, as we said very early on, Aiton, Biombo and McGee are all very different players, even though they're all bigs. And I think they would all play Giannis in very different ways. Biombo kind of pressures up, looks for steals on those catches. Uh, JaVale plays, you know, the biggest drop in basically the whole league. And then Aiton can kind of be a, you know, a hybrid of everything all at once. So that was a really interesting thing that I found uh, on top of the def- defense that you're talking about. Uh, that kind of flashed. And yeah, I only watch the Suns now because I've only got time for the Suns. So when you watch one thing over and over and over again, you notice it when something stands out that's not normal. And that's why I pick up on things, definitely. Yeah, and I was I was thinking as kind of you guys were answering that question, like I have always been a basketball fan. I fell in love with the X's and O's working with 
a college coach when I was helping as an assistant. My job was to watch the scouting videos of the other teams, write breakdowns, all that fun stuff. And I enjoyed that. But then what's so funny hearing both of you guys say it, when I watch Suns games and both of these guys can vouch, there is no way for me not to have the fan goggles on. Like I'm not watching rotations. I am not. And Philip, as a true Bulls fan, he hears this question all the time. It's, hey, that's a foul. Wait, is that me just being biased? Wait, maybe I'm not sure about this because I know my natural process as a Suns fan for the last 17-ish years is Suns goggles all the time. And so I, just to do this podcast, have to go and rewatch every single game. And Ryan, now he's on the East Coast, but also busy with work and traveling. And Philip, who's okay knowing the result before going into it, like I can't do that. So I have to watch the game live. I have to know what's going on. And then I rewatch. And so it's just been fun for me being forced in the kindest way possible to rewatch it, to hopefully do a decent job with this. But man, you just pick up on so much more when you're not so concentrated on the what happens next of it all. And it might be silly for, you know, Suns fans who are the folks listening to, to go back and watch the YouTube highlights from the game you watched the night before, but that's a great, you know, way to kind of dip your toe in the water, right. And get accustomed to saying, I know how this ends. Let's see how we got there. Um, And it's been great. And I, the guys will laugh at me. I am not much of a reader. I have tried my best to improve this thing about me that I have failed on for my entire life. Um, But I am about to finish a book by Nick Green called How to Watch Basketball Like a Genius. For those listening, the guys are applauding for me because they know it's a big accomplishment for me to read books, apparently. Um, I went into reading this book expecting it to be a David-esque book on how to better (laughs) watch basketball and break it down because I love, I love that stuff. And I, I got to just hang out with a true X's and O's coach for a year and a half and just fell in love with it. And rather, this book is about a man interviewing geniuses from all walks of life on how they view and analyze basketball from the lens of their own personal genius, whether it's a philosopher or a professor or insert every other smart person type doctor you can think of. And I just think it's a good reminder. It was for me, and I I want it to be for those that are listening. You don't have to watch basketball the same way. What is so fun about basketball and watching with other people and talking about with other people is you are watching the same thing as everyone else, but you are watching it differently. And that is a good thing. And the reason that people gang up and talk crap about the ESPNs and the big media companies is, yes, they have one voice. They like to use the one voice to talk about basketball the same way. It is awesome that we have the community that we have that has so many different perspectives of the same thing that we all love and care about. So it's great, David, just getting to talk to you about this and your work makes me want to go learn more. Uh, I'm glad that you've enjoyed our podcast and we are thrilled to have you on. I am already excited about off-season podcasts when we were getting all these questions. That was our first question. Philip and I went out to dinner the other night and it was worthwhile for now or off season. And we were grabbing questions and plucking and be like, this is a good off season question. This is a good thing to talk about later. Uh, Cause again, we don't want to take away from the wonderful thing in front of us, but there's a lot of exciting stuff to talk about too. So uh, I'm glad that you now on record have committed to doing that. Um, Ryan, Philip, as we kind of bring this to a close, uh, other than telling me that you're proud of me for reading a book 
Uh, anything, we are. anything you need to share with the folks as we bring this one to a close? I, I, David, I just want to let you know that, you know, I, I've messaged you this privately, so I, I feel comfortable saying it in front of people. Like, I just really appreciate you and the work you do. Anybody who has listened to our show knows I am not the X's and O's guy of this group. I am very much the emotional attachment. I kind of wear the fan goggles more than Ethan and, and Philip when it comes to looking at this team and, and the connections. Um, but I, I just appreciate surrounding myself with people who know a lot more than I do. And, and I view Ethan that way and Philip that way. And I very much view you that way as well. So I would say to, you know, the folks listening, it's okay to, to not know what you don't know, but there's so much information out there accessible. Mm-hmm. Find it if you're looking to grow, because there's a lot of people out there putting up good stuff and you don't have to be as passionate about it, but it benefits your watch when you know, what you're looking at and what you're watching. So I just appreciate you and how accessible you will make stuff that I don't typically look for or understand uh, and make it just really palatable and digestible uh, to somebody who's who primarily just watching for that good time and that connection to the team. Um, and it's okay to be that guy uh, of your friend group too. The gifts are all for you, Ryan. The gifts are all for you. <laughs> and gonna, I love them. Ryan's gonna start. <laughs> Ryan's gonna start looking for like coded messages in the uh, in the old Substack, like uh, Zodiac notes. I'm just like looking to try and solve the basically. crime. Well, uh, you did. You mentioned that that Chris Paul article before. I will drop a little nugget because anyone who's you know still listening to us at this, they must point really like us. Must must really like all of us, but um. There's little zodiac signs in the, in the newsletters sometimes, so so look out for them. AKA, wait two weeks for him to tweet out to check the disclaimers and the uh, extra notes, and then look down at the bottom of the article. I've been there, uh, <laughs> David. Before I let you plug whatever you want to plug, uh, Philip, anything as we kind of wrap this one up? No, just to just to put a point on what what David and Ryan just said. Knowing the game has led me to enjoying the game more. And that's where I think the benefit of having you, David, and the Suns community is, is really felt. That, that knowing the game, it's not just cerebral. It's sharing and facilitating that community, which is, which is really special. And I'm, reading, I'm currently reading a book about our need for deep community as people. And I think one of the ways that we do that is around sports and knowing sports and talking about sports and arguing about sports. And I think it's a really, it's a gift that we get to enjoy. All right, David, other than the four point play.substack.com, anything else you want to share with the people before we bring it to a close? That's pretty much it guys. I, I've tried to funnel as much of what I do other than Twitter through that space at the moment. Um, so definitely go there if you're listening to this and, and haven't um, subscribed, you know, it's good to get those numbers up to, to direct to people. I, and, you know, the more I do that, the less I have to spam stuff on Twitter. Cause I can be confident that everyone's already got it in their email inbox. Um, probably the next one of that will actually be a podcast with my old, uh, host uh, Max for the, the seven seconds or less pod. So if anyone used to listen to that, uh, yes, now sir. is a good time to sub- subscribe to the newsletter. Cause that'll probably be the next issue. Um, but I just want to thank you guys. It's one of the most enjoyable conversations about basketball I've had in a long, long time. And I knew it would be. It's why I was excited to come on. I think we've touched on some really great points and particularly at the end here, touched on something that I think that is lost sometimes in the community is that we all watch basketball in different ways and it doesn't make any of us right or wrong. And I think that mixture of opinions and the way we look at things uh, is actually the beauty of the community. So I learn as much from people who look at the game in a different way to what I do than I do from those who 
look at it, I guess, as analytically and, and X's and O's as I do. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to end by saying that I appreciate all of those different opinions and views on things because I think uh, it all goes into the bucket at the end of the day and we try and draw our own conclusions from that. So, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. I've, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Well, uh, I will stop the love fest before it continues because uh, we've not exactly been uh, great with our time. But, David, one final thank you. You mentioned sometimes you feel like you don't have enough time on the tweets and the voiceovers. If there's ever something, if the spirit moves you and you feel like you need to talk about something, the DMs are open. You let us know. We, I like having a fourth, man. It fills up the little laptop screen so well. Uh, but no, we appreciate it. Hey, you guys. If, if Ryan keeps subtweeting me through the podcast, I'll have to just, you know, <laughs> That's jump true. on. And- That's, That's I mean, And That's that, will, that will continue to happen too. Uh, but no, David, thank you guys. Again, check him out, the fourpointplay.subsec.com. Uh, thank you for the folks that allow us to talk for way too long and then promote it openly. The folks at Brightside, thank you guys for what you do, for giving these random Kentucky and Indiana folks an opportunity to talk about Phoenix basketball. Uh, for David, for Ryan, for Philip, I am Ethan. This is Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast. We out. <laughs>